that has us walking through some of, not all of the book of Daniel, but some of, because we're walking through Revelation next, so we're saving some of the deep areas for that study. But as kind of has been stated, as Brother Frank got you warmed up for me, so that was good this morning, way to get him warmed up. But yesterday we celebrated the 244th anniversary of our founding fathers giving us our national birth certificate, what we call the Declaration of Independence, but what, what was actually um, for many or most a declaration of dependence, a declaration of dependence upon God. John Adams wrote, this day ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. He also wrote the general principles upon which the founding fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I believe and now believe that those general principles are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. So we look back and we see the Christian themes that run through the founding of our country. We see those ideals, even though many have eroded and many have um, in today's modern world been cast aside. But this morning, some 244 years removed from these declarations, I want us as citizens of this country to reflect upon the reality after yesterday that ultimately as children of God, we are ultimately citizens of another country. One country that we live in is temporary. One is eternal. And yet here's what we know. And I'm, I'm going to get through this. So don't, um, don't get your britches in a bunch uh, too quick. We're going to move through this. But as we enter into an election year, we will be increasingly torn in our loyalties as Politics dominate the news, dominate media, dominate social media. And sadly, a sense of pressured urgency has already begun to polarize Christians by which um, we have turned into warring factions, warring against each other, by which we're told that sides must be taken, allegiances declared. We, we must, as we're told, hitch our wagons to a political party, to a political candidate, and not just hitch our wagons, we're convinced we must hitch our hopes and dreams. Thankfully, there's another option. And that option is reestablishing our allegiance to the true kingdom. And reestablishing our allegiance to the, the better king. The king who rules over all kings, all presidents, all kingdoms, and all nations. And that is why this series is so incredibly Timely, because the major burden of the book of Daniel is the tension and conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. In the days of Daniel, he was taken into exile, um, into Babylon by the command of a pagan and wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar. We will call him Nebi a lot today because that's just easier. Um, today, we would call Daniel a prisoner of war. Daniel was trapped in a world that he could not control at all and was pressured um, to act like, to think like a, a Babylonian, which would have made it very easy for him at the cost of his relationship to God. Or simply put, Daniel was forced to decide between living like a believer and living like a Babylonian. 
He had to decide either I'm going to be a believer or I can live as a Babylonian. And although Babylon was an ancient nation, so we know that it was an ancient nation, it also represents an enduring spirit. And what I mean by that is this. In the Old Testament, the city of Babylon gave birth to an empire that ruled the known world and opposed, or imposed its worldview upon all the peoples that she, Babylon, conquered. Babylon could be brutal, she could be proud, but ultimately she was seductive. And here's the deal. Her spirit still is. When we get to the book of Revelation, guess what we're going to find there? Babylon. The spirit of Babylon still there. Here's what we know. The demonic spirit of Babylon was in Sodom and Gomorrah. It was in Nazi Germany. The same spirit is in North Korea. Um, it's in Iran and it's in the United States and all nations. The spirit, this spirit runs drug cartels and human trafficking. This same spirit is writing curriculum from, for students ages kindergarten to graduate school. This spirit is architecting political platforms and cultural narratives that we hear over and over again. And here's the reality. No one, no thing, and no place is immune from the influence of Babylon. Yet just... As like Babylon the kingdom, Babylon the spirit will not stand forever. Yet there is a kingdom, the kingdom of God, and there is a spirit, the spirit of God, that will stand forever. Amen. And this morning, in coming to Daniel 2, so as I told you last week, Daniel 2 is the first dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And Daniel has a vision or dream in Daniel 7, which is kind of the same thing. We, we did Daniel 7 last week to show you one side of Daniel's vision, stand in awe of Daniel's vision of the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man. But we're going to see the first part of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel 2. And the story begins when this mighty king, so the mighty king Nebi, um, had a troubling dream that made sleep flee from him. You ever been there, ever had a dream, and it just forced you awake, your eyes wide open, and then you could not go back to bed because your heart was beating out of your chest? This is the story that we come to in Daniel 2. The king then summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers. Basically, he called all the Madame Cleos in his kingdom um, to come before him and to reveal the meaning of his dream. Yet, strangely enough, he didn't just want the meaning of the dream. He wanted them to tell him what the dream was. And when his room full of Madame Cleos told him that it was impossible, he said, if you do not tell me the dream, I will have you torn apart limb from limb and your family will be taken to the garbage dump. And that would have included Daniel and his three friends. So Daniel then goes before the king and asks for a time to receive a God-given revelation and a God-given interpretation. So with the stage now set, let us pick up from that point and let us take our stand in Daniel chapter 2. And if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. We're going to begin in verse 17 of Daniel chapter 2 and read a pretty good ways into this. So then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. 
Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah. Let me pause right there. Really, Arioch, you have found? This is your doing? This shows us the inner workings here. I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, No, or, or no wise men, enchanters, magicians, and astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But... There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest of arms of, of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, Iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you look, the stone was cut by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king his interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, whereas they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay." And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. 
As you saw the iron mix with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. And Lord, remind us today, as your people, what we are a part of. God, by your grace, you have made it possible for us to be born in this country and to experience the freedoms, God, that we so richly have and we are so thankful for. Yet remind us, as great as this life can sometimes feel, This world is not our home. And the kingdoms of this world will not stand. But, oh God, your kingdom will. Just open our eyes today to see what you would have us to see, to hear what you would have us to hear. Oh God, speak. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So don't miss this. Daniel, with his life on the line, went to his three friends so they could pray together, so they could seek the mercy of God. And this is said to be the first instance in the Bible of a united prayer, um, recorded in Scripture, so of a prayer meeting. And the fact that these four resorted to prayer shows the secret of their separated lives. It shows why they were holy in the midst of an unholy world. And we begin to realize there's a difference between believing that prayer is important and believing that prayer is essential. When your life is on the line, you begin to believe that prayer is essential. It's no longer just important. It is essential. And they pray to the God of heaven, a title for God that appears five times in this chapter. Yet, get this, the term God of heaven did not appear before the Babylonian captivity. It was kind of weird. It did not appear in the Bible before Babylon came into the picture. And the point being that the Babylonians worshipped the heavens, but God was the God over the heavens. Not just the God of heaven, he's sovereign over all of it. So that when Daniel finally stands before the king, he is able to say there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. I love this. Daniel didn't say, I've got this. I am a um, mystery revealer. I can reveal dreams. No, Daniel said, nobody can do what you're asking, but there is a God who can. There is one who can. And just think about the God that Daniel chapter 2 reveals. In verse 18, he's the God of heaven. In verse 19, he's the revealer of mysteries. In verse 20, Wisdom and might belong to him. In verse 21, he changes the times and seasons. Also in verse 21, he removes kings and sets up kings. In verse 22, he reveals deep and hidden things. In verse 44, he is the one who will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. In verse 45, he knows the future. In verse 47, he is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. So what this tells us is that the God who wrote the word rules the world. The God who wrote the word, he rules the world. His plans have stood tall and his kingdom, praise God, will stand forever. 
So let us this morning unpack two truths. You heard me right. Not three, two. But don't let that give you false hope. You're not getting out early. So two truths from Daniel chapter 2. That just leap forth from these verses. Truth number one is this. Kingdoms of this world briefly stand by the hand of God. Kingdoms of this world briefly stand by the hand of God. So the Bible contains an upper story and a lower story. So the upper story tells the big picture, the grand narrative of God seeking a relationship with mankind as it unfolds from beginning to end. The lower story contains the details of particular peoples and nations that exist only within the framework of the upper story. Even when those people think they're writing their own story, they're still in the hand of God. And what we see in Daniel 2 is that history, the lower story, is not ultimately determined by earthly rulers or earthly kings, but history is determined by the hand of God as he accomplishes the upper story. Or to put it a different way, history is not drifting aimlessly on. Rather, God is ordering all things to the consummation of what he has planned. As we said last week, history is going somewhere and there is someone who is going to make sure it gets there. And that someone is our God. It is the one that we have served. So Daniel stands before King Nebi and he says in verses 31 through 33, You saw, O king, a great image. This image, mighty of exceeding brightness, stood before you. Its appearance was frightening, he says. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. So here's what we know. Thank God the Bible interprets itself. So the Bible gets to interpret the Bible. And so here, God through Daniel gives the explanation. Daniel told the king that the image represented four great kingdoms that would arise in succession and dominate the world. These four great kingdoms are the same kingdoms we saw last week in Daniel chapter 7. Now in Daniel 7, they appeared as beasts. In Daniel 2, they appear as um, types of metals. Now the question has been asked is, why are the same four empires referred to as beasts in Daniel 7 and as metals in Daniel uh, 2? And simply put, here's the answer. The beast show the empires of this world as God sees them. The nations of this world, the kingdoms of this world are ferocious, bent on plunder, bent on destruction, bent on domination. That is how God sees them. The metals show how the empires of this world, or show the empires of this world how we see them. If we're not careful, we see them as beautiful, precious, deserving of praise, and even worse, deserving of our ultimate trust. God sees what we can't see, or God sees sometimes what we refuse to see. The dream here is both simple and strange. The king saw an enormous statue made of four different metals, gold, silver, bronze, iron, and then iron eventually mixed with clay. But notice the statue isn't doing anything. It's not moving. It's not speaking. The unique feature is the metals that it is made up of. Suddenly a stone not made out of um, hands of man strikes the statue not at the head when we think about 
David and Goliath, but at the feet shattering the entire image. The pieces are blown away by the wind is what we are told, leaving only the stone which becomes a mountain and fills the earth. It's a pretty weird dream. It's a pretty heavy dream to wrap our minds around. One theologian declared that the image or the statue of a man was employed here because God wished to make known what would transpire during man's day, the ages in which mortal man ruled the earth. Here in one panoramic sweep, the whole history of human civilization is spread before us from the days of Nebuchadnezzar to the very end of time. Let's quickly unpack these four kingdoms. And I know this isn't... um, the most popular thing to do, but we're going to just dive in quickly. So Babylon is the head of gold. So Babylon represents the head of gold. Daniel tells tells Nebuchadnezzar that he is the head of gold. Daniel even calls him the king of kings. Now Daniel wasn't saying you are Jesus. He was saying among all the kingdoms in this world at this time, you are the king above all of them. You have all the power and all authority right now. However, He, Nebuchadnezzar, will be followed by a succession of weak and incompetent rulers. In fact, this great Babylonian kingdom would only survive for 65 years. This mighty empire would come to an end in a hurry. Then Medo-Persia is the chest and arms of silver. So this nation followed Babylon. It was inferior in its totalitarian rule. However, it would be a vast nation and last for more than 200 years. Years. Then Greece is the middle uh, and thighs of bronze. So this middle section and, and body of thighs, um, which shall rule over all the earth, was built by Alexander the Great, who would conquer the known world and then die at a young age of 33. This kingdom would last right around 800, or excuse me, 185 years. And then we get to the legs of iron, which represents Rome a great and powerful empire that Daniel says that was as strong as iron. And iron is such a fitting description of Rome for at least two reasons. First, ancient Rome was noted for its use of iron and, or as military weaponry. But second, as Daniel indicated in verse 40, just as iron is able to crush gold, silver, bronze, because of its strength, so Rome would crush and shatter the ancient world. So the mark of the fourth empire was its strength, and it was a destructive strength. In fact, in Daniel 7, Daniel sees this vision, and Rome is terrifying because of the amount of pain and suffering they would cause upon those that they captured. Rome, of course, is the greatest empire this world has known until now, lasting some 1,500 years with its influence still with us today. Now let me just pause for a second. Liberal scholars like to say this book of Daniel had to be written um, at the beginning of um, the, the first century because there's no way anyone living when Daniel lived could have known that the Medo-Persian Empire would come and then Babylon or excuse me, then um, Greece would come, and then Rome would come. Nobody would know that. So they say there's no way that Daniel was written at this time. To them we would say, but there's a God in heaven 
that proves and shows who he is. So here's the point. Although kingdoms of this world look both intimidating and attractive, they are ultimately temporary and fragile. The ESV Study Bible provides a helpful note in summarizing the significance of this vision. It says this, another point being made in the dream is that each earthly kingdom has its own glory, but also its own end. Both have been assigned to it by God. The progression of world history is typically not upward to glory and unity, but rather downward to dishonor and disunity. Thus, the statue progresses from gold to silver to bronze to iron and from a head to a chest and arms to belly, thighs, and then feet and toes. This list of metals shows a progressive decrease in the value and splendor of the materials, but an increase in toughness and endurance. Some commentators understand this to indicate a general decline in morality of the government's among the times that they lasted. So the longer a nation would last, the more immoral it would become. In contrast, God's kingdom grows from humble beginnings to ultimate unified glory as a single kingdom that fills the whole earth forever. Here's the point of point number one. Ultimately, God is in control of who is in control. Let me say it again. God is in control of who is in control. God sovereignly rules the past, the present, the future, and he rules eternity. There is no one, there is no thing, there is no place, there is no time that is beyond his ultimate rule and reign. So kingdoms of this world briefly stand by the hand of God, which leads us to the second truth. The kingdom of God eternally stands through the Son of God. The kingdom of God eternally stands through the Son of God. So the God of heaven, who is absolutely active in the rising and falling of all earthly kingdoms, shows his people and shows all people that any and all human kingdoms will be ultimately replaced Excuse me, by an everlasting kingdom. For you see, people can make statues... People can make images. Only God can make mountains. Only God can make mountains. And so in verses 34 and 35, Daniel says, As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were broken in pieces. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Think about the kingdoms of this world, gone, disappeared. Not a trace of them could be found. In contrast, this stone, not built with hands of man, grew and filled the whole earth. This is a dream that God gave not to an amazing man of God, but to a pagan king. And the point is this, whatever kingdom you and I are under, there is an eternal kingdom over it all that will crush it and that eternal kingdom will last forever each of these kingdoms babylon medo-persia greece and rome has come to an end although of course when we get to the book of revelation we see rome again and in its essence we see babylon again in its spirit but the kingdom of god continues to march forward until it will be fully established when jesus christ Returns And don't miss this stone. This is not just any 
ordinary stone. This is a supernatural stone. This is the stone of God. This stone is Jesus Christ. C.I. Schofield wrote, Christ as the stone is revealed in a threefold way. To Israel, Christ is the stumbling stone. To the people of Israel, Christ appeared to them not as the Messiah that would deliver them from Rome. He delivered them as a Messiah that would deliver them from sin, and they didn't want that. They didn't want that kind of deliverance. They thought their greatest need was to be delivered from Rome. And Jesus came saying, your greatest need is to be delivered from sin. And because he said that, they stumbled over him, and they refused to bow the knee to him. And then secondly, to the church, Christ is the foundation stone. Christ is the cornerstone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to God the Father. And yet to the Gentile world, that is the unbelieving world, Christ will be the striking stone of destruction. So Israel stumbled over Christ, the church is built upon Christ, and the Gentile unbelieving world will be crushed by Christ. And these verses show us where the dream is pointing all along. No matter how powerful the nation all will crumble beneath the outpouring of God's holy wrath. Yet we can be confident that Jesus Christ, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, will rule the world in righteousness and justice and peace. Nations rise and nations fall, but praise God, Christ's kingdom stands forever. Stands forever. His first coming changed the world. His second coming will bring history to God, to his God-ordained end, which leads me to say that if you know all the facts of history, if you know all the facts of history, but you don't know Jesus, you've missed the point of history. If you know all the facts of history, but you don't know Jesus, you've missed the whole point of history. History. When we come to the end of Daniel 2, the question that we must ask is this. What is your relationship to the rock of salvation? What is your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ? In the Bible, he is called the stone that the builders rejected. He is the stone, and according to 1 Corinthians 10, that provided spiritual drink. He is, according to Ephesians 2.20, the, the cornerstone of the Cornerstone of the universe, but cornerstone of the church. Where are you in relationship to the rock? For this rock, Jesus Christ, will either save you or he will crush you. But he and his kingdom will stand forever. Therefore, let me say this. Do not, please, do not align your identity, your hopes, your dreams with any kingdom that will not last don't do it. Run to the king and run into his kingdom knowing that it will stand now and praise God it will stand forever. Oh, may we take comfort in that, that we as believers aren't just a part of something that lasts for a short time. We are a part of something that will last forever and ever and ever and ever. Oh, God, which leads us to say, come, Lord Jesus. With that said, if you can stand, and we're going to end in this way. When we think about the world, we think about what's going on. Here's the deal. We can't always say it's well with our world. We can't always say it's well with our nation. We can't even always say it's well with our health or well with our finances or even well with our family. 
But because of Jesus Christ, because He is our Savior and Lord, we can say, it is well with my soul. So therefore, we're going to end the day with that. It is well with our soul because here's the deal. We know how it ends. And we win because He has won. So let's pray together. Can we get an amen for that? We win because He has won. So Father, we praise You and thank You that today we know that there is a kingdom that will last forever. It will not just come and not just go. It will not deteriorate. It will not grow less than what it once was. It is great now and it will be great and perfect forever. And we thank you that we are able through Christ to take our stand in it. Today we pray. If anyone in this place of worship today, anyone listening today doesn't know you, today would be the day of salvation. Today would be a day that they run to the rock, to Jesus Christ, and find life in Him. Lord, help us not to put our identity, our trust, our hopes, our dreams, in what won't last. Help us to put our trust in what will last forever. So that we can say, regardless of what happens in this world, it is well with our souls. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.